Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are thrilled to welcome back my friend Ruth Williams. Welcome, Ruth. Thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to be returning. That's right. Ruth was last with us season two, episode seven, I want to say. Is that is that right? That sounds right. Seven names. Yes. Seven names. That's right. We made the ring joke. Okay, that was very fun. And yeah, we had great conversations about jobs and if we'd ever been fired and it was the beginning of Hattie and Alex and now Alex of course is is off the show (laughs) also listeners if you've been wondering as I was recently about how someone can be ruthless but what is the Ruth (laughs) that they are lacking well here it is Ruth is an archaic noun meaning a feeling of pity distress or grief Oh. Yes. I think I first encountered Ruth used as a noun in, I want to say Jane Eyre. It was one, it was a novel of that era. Uh And I never knew that, even though my name is Ruth, I did not know that it was used as a noun. I had certainly been called ruthless before by many (laughs) many a child and did not find it very amusing. But I was like, oh, how interesting, because my parents named me Ruth after the Ruth in the Bible. And so that yeah. was just the association I had with my name. And then I'm like, oh, how interesting. And, you know, from my limited exposure to you, I don't find you ruthless at all. In fact, I would say <laughs> you're like overflowing with Ruth. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually, I don't know if you knew this. It's one of my favorite names. I love the name. Oh, Ruth. really? Yeah, I always have. When I was young, I really was just like, hmm, it's an, I'm not very fond of it. But then later when I kind of like reacquainted myself with the story in the Bible, I was like, you know, Ruth actually was kind of a really interesting character. She was, uh, you know, devoting her life to a woman that she could have abandoned because um, her husband died and basically her mother-in-law. Orpah, right? I I can't remember. Ruth and Naomi. Naomi, you're right. There's some character in the Ruth story named Orpah and they misspelled the name when Oprah Winfrey's parents. Oh, that's right. She was supposed her. to be named after her. Yeah. Oh, but, wow. And that is where the name Oprah came from. It's a misspelling. <laughs> well, interesting. <laughs> now I feel connected to Oprah. <laughs> it's not a bad connection. No. no, pretty good. She's on the show next week. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But if not. anyone has a connection, parenthoodpals at gmail.com, hook us up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the joke everyone made for me when I was growing up was they were always like, Melissa, fight. You want to fight? Like, I'd never heard it before. I'm like, it's just brilliant. It's hilarious. I didn't get name jokes. Yeah? No, just you're gay. That's oh. it. Yeah. <laughs> jokes on them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, they were right. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> well, Ruth, have you had any exciting developments in your life you'd like to share since the last time you were on? You know, you might remember when you asked me to introduce myself the last episode I was on, my history with parenthood was that I must have seen it, but it was a foggy memory and I was never a regular viewer. But after I came on your podcast and I continued to listen to it, I have kept watching it just occasionally. And I was thinking how to describe like what compels me to watch a few episodes here and there. And I, I will say like, I tend to go for like the gritty, you know, TV. And sometimes you just want something that feels kind of like I, I, I'm going to use the word wholesome 
that's not a bad thing. No. <laughs> it's yeah. like something that you kind of know the emotional tenor of it will be substantive, but it will not be like, and then someone will be decapitated and their blood will splatter <laughs> all over. And not until season five. <laughs> right. Or this character <laughs> you've been watching will be dead. Just it, there's something about it that I enjoy. So I have to say I'm now a semi-regular viewer. I've gotten all the way into uh, season three. That's That's nice. Okay. Well, I I think wholesome is a good word for it. And I think that's exactly the sort of word that one would have used to describe me like in high school and probably, let's be honest, still now. But in high school, I think I would have been like, no, I'm not. I'm edgy. And now I'm like, let's just call it what it is. (laughs) Super wholesome over here. And yeah, I, I don't have a negative, you know, association with that word anymore. I think this world is pretty dark a lot of the times and it's nice sometimes to watch something that like has a big heart and and yeah that just you can invest in and and care about so I think that's beautifully put well Ruth I'm glad you made it into season three because that is where we find ourselves today yeah season three episode eight in between it was written by Eric Guggenheim directed by Patrick Norris it originally aired on November 8th 2011 and here's the NBC synopsis After offering to let Seth stay at her apartment once he is released from rehab, Amber begins to understand what Sarah has been going through all these years. Meanwhile, Adam attempts to get intimate with Christina for the first time since Nora's birth. Elsewhere, Crosby struggles with the prospect of a new father figure in Jabbar's life, and Drew and Amy take their relationship to a new level. This episode is the first appearance of Alexandra Daddario as Rachel. She has like quite an extensive resume before and after parenthood she was in all the percy jackson movies san andreas the baywatch movie true detective but my favorite credit of hers is a romantic comedy called when we first met in which she plays a character named avery martin which is my niece's oh, name that's so cute and I, it's not actually my favorite credit i've never seen the movie i hadn't even heard of it until i looked it up <laughs> but it said that she played avery martin and i was like that's awesome it's that's my, my favorite. favorite yeah <laughs> And I thought, so I thought we would start with the introduction of Rachel and, you know, then her impact on Adam and Christina in this episode. I thought it was an interesting issue raised with her in her interview of being so conscious about how you treat someone based on their appearance. And that if you're too aware of it, you end up treating them differently anyway. Like, (laughs) although I have to be honest, speaking to someone not regarded as immediately attractive to strangers... I almost never buy the like being gorgeous has its challenges too argument. It's like, (laughs) yeah, sure it does. But I don't think it stacks up to the challenges of not being gorgeous. So, but I do think it would be wrong to hire someone or to not hire someone because of their appearance, whether that appearance was considered good or bad. I thought it was a super interesting conflict as well. And at first I was a little confused because I was like, She's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, they hired the most beautiful person on the planet, you know, Mika Kelly to be, you know, (laughs) Max's behavioral aid. But then the more I thought about it, the more that checked out because I'm like, yes, but she worked with Max and Christina was almost always there. And, And this is a woman who's working just with Adam and Crosby, with Christina nowhere around. And 
most interesting to me was was that Christina was having this insecurity that she doesn't typically have. You know, it's just it's it's an insecurity produced for a reason. It's not just a constant part of herself, but having just had the baby and they haven't been intimate that whole time. And and yeah, just I thought that is interesting, kind of raises the stakes. Well, they ask her, like, why did you drop out? And I immediately thought like, oh, she dropped out of college. But then she points out that she dropped out of her master's degree. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> Which gave me a good chuckle. And I, I was like, why, why do I find that silly? And I think it's because it would land differently if she was a college dropout. We would have more negative associations of that. But like her saying she's a master's student dropout, <laughs> you know, because she wants to really get into like the grit of managing bands or like getting into the music scene it seems more reasonable yeah right like she doesn't need to probably go to her master's program if that's truly what she wants to do but i just thought that was kind of silly i didn't even think about that that's such a good point why would they even ask like who cares why you don't have a master's degree to be a receptionist at the luncheonette you know yeah also (laughs) that she wanted to manage bands and everyone else wanted to run their own record label it felt like the connotation there is if you want to run your own record label, you're a bit of a narcissist, right? You want to have your golden thing that you've created, whereas she wants to just help manage the talent, you know, and promote them. She has a servant heart. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I, I will say I felt myself deeply conflicted by it because I didn't like the way that Crosby in particular, right out of the gate, he sort of like seems fixated on razzing Adam about the hotness of her, this girl. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Because it's one thing to take note of the fact that she's incredibly beautiful, but then to kind of like keep bringing it up Mm -hmm. in this weird, like, this is just a joke. But I was like, is it just a joke? Because is it okay to joke about this continuously in a way that's deeply uncomfortable? However, in real life, siblings do like to do that kind of thing with each other, right? You (laughs) know, whether it's about a hot girl or just like, I vividly remember when I was younger, my little sister had her own room and I had to share my room with my middle sister. And sometimes I would go to my little sister's room and she would tell us to get out of her room. And then I would stand at the doorway and like put one toe in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Am I not pulling a a bit of a Crosby there? Perhaps so. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) I thought it was a little ridiculous that all of the other candidates were so I didn't care for that. The juxtaposition was ridiculous, yeah. Because they are right that she was truly the most qualified. I'm like, she had literally no competition. Yeah. It might have been more interesting if it was her and someone else who was pretty qualified too, but not hot. And then you have to decide, well, now which one of them do we give it to? Someone who is a little, maybe a little bit more qualified and this eye candy factor that Crosby mentioned, which is kind of gross, but also I'm like, it's one of those like ugly realities that I'm never sure if it's useful to deny or not because it is nasty, but I don't think he's wrong. Anyway, I get that they were teeing up this storyline with Christina feeling insecure. And so they were kind of focused on Adam. I think Adam could have very understandably asked Crosby are you sure you're not going to hit on her or date her ever? Because that is totally in keeping with your behavior. (laughs) And now you actually are single. So in terms of your own life, 
it's actually, there's nothing wrong about it. But in terms of your professional life, we can't have you dating our receptionist. So are you committed here and now to never flirting with her and never dating her? I think that's such a good point. I didn't even really think about that, maybe because the show didn't bring it up. But his track record is not great. Yeah, when he was like, because she's hot, like, is that why we shouldn't hire her? I'm like, well, you know, the last time this family hired someone hot, you did sleep with her. Um, And when the series began, he was dating Katie, who he worked with. That's true. Who I think was his boss. Like, I think we kind of figured that out at one point. So that's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did on the separate topic. I did think it was really sweet that Adam was so eager to have sex with his wife, but not in a like impatient way. I thought they played that that well. Yeah. That when he was explaining it to Crosby, it was clearly that Adam had experience in this area with this issue before. And he was very respectful of it and was taking all of his cues from her and that he was kind of explaining to Crosby how things were and that it wasn't bitching about it or whining. I was like, oh, Adam is a decent person some of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought he was just kind of explaining why Rachel being so attractive might be more of an issue than under normal circumstances. You know, like usually I don't know that it would have thrown Christina as much as it did. One thing that I think that the only thing Adam did that I found like a little cringy, but so well-intentioned, but it was when... (laughs) Christina and Nora unexpectedly showed up and they were shown in by Rachel. And so Adam was just trying to play it off. And he was like, oh, welcome, welcome, my beautiful wife. And I'm like, don't say that in front of Rachel. Like, it just felt a little like insincere, even though I know he thinks she's beautiful. You know what I mean? But I would have found that embarrassing because it would have seemed like, would you greet me this way if Rachel weren't here? I don't know if that even makes sense, but there was something about like, oh, welcome, my beautiful wife. Like, that's not... Did anyone else bump on that or was that just me? I didn't notice that, but I did notice when he said she, Rachel bent over (laughs) and he said, oh, that's unfortunate. I thought that. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And again, I know for the show and the premise... Overemphasizing that she's hot and that she's distracting and whatever, but like in reality, I would hope I, I would not hear such a thing yeah. come out of someone's mouth. He could think that because <laughs> yes, it's unfortunate that his wife is feeling insecure and has already sort of alluded very clearly to the fact. That I don't remember what she's. Oh, she she had that funny comment which was T and S to T and A. Yes, yeah, <laughs> which is also like not cool, not no. cool. You know, poor Rachel, she's just an attractive young woman. She's not done or said anything inappropriate or sexual. Now, she does wear the clothes, which Mm -hmm. is like a weird factor that I'm like grappling with. But point being, I kind of like, Adam, did you need to really articulate that that was unfortunate? Because now you've just you've just confirmed that somehow her having an attractive body is like a bad thing thing yeah and she's just doing her job she's bending over to pick some water i don't even know what she was doing getting water bottles out of the trash for the recycling picking up water bottles out of the corner i don't know what she was doing but i just thought okay i feel like rachel doesn't deserve to be so highly sexualized except i get that this is what's happening for the narrative arc of the show so i'm torn no i i agree and i did think it was interesting the way the show had her dress And I wondered if that was a difference between her and Gabby. Gabby, you know, was always 
wearing different kinds of clothing, but their jobs are enormously different. You know, like Gabby's job is to work with kids with special needs. So it makes sense that she's like super, you know, modestly dressed with Rachel. I know that she works with two men, but if she trusts those two men, she's also like in this hip recording studio and she should be able to dress however she wants. Like the high school where I work has a new um, dress code that frankly, I love. It's basically like no hate speech, no, you know, like that's not okay. And then it's like your private parts must be covered. And that's kind of it. It's it's like spaghetti straps, fine. Crop tops, fine. It's just like, and, and, and I thought, well, Rachel would pass that dress code. And I tend to think that's the only dress code that should exist because I hate it when it's like, well, women, don't be distracting for men. It's like, you know what? Pull yourself together, men. Like, you can handle it. Like, don't be distracted and don't blame the woman. I don't know. Let's hear Christina's thoughts on <laughs> Rachel. Seriously? What? Your new hire? From TNS to TNA, honey, wow. Dressed like that. Oh my God, you guys can afford to hire one employee and you hire... Conservatively, she was... How old is she? She was really the best person for the job. Adam, I believe you. She's very smart. She's very... Just a little weird that she's like, I mean, like a supermodel. You know, just, she's just... Yeah, I know. (laughs) Like after my little rant earlier about how hard beautiful people have it, it was jarring to me that Christina so instantly assumed that Rachel was not the most qualified person for the job. And yet I believed that she might make that assumption. And that would get really old really fast if you were Rachel, because I'm sure that does happen a lot. And that, you know, if people found out she was a master's student, that they might be surprised. Wow, you're getting a master's degree? Yeah. Yeah, why wouldn't I? Because I'm good looking? And that she shouldn't have to play down her looks in order to be interested in intellectual things or like all we see her do in this episode is be really good at her job. Like she's helpful to Christina when she's coming through the door. She's helpful to Adam with his technical difficulties. She was great in the interview. Her appearance is not a problem to be solved. It's just her appearance. And I think she was dressed appropriately for her work environment. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who's, um, I don't think she really models anymore, but she was a model and she has talked about how she would get treated pretty grossly a lot of the time, like at work. That was sort of just a a daily reality of her job. That is not a daily reality of my job, you know, and, and I, I'd never really thought about it before because I think I've always assumed too, like, oh, it must be hard to be, you know, stunning. Like, I'm like, I think there are some parts like or to be intimidating to people right off the bat that that must be hard when, you know, like she keeps trying to bond with Christina, be nice to Christina, at least maybe not bond. But, you know, and then Christina just keeps being really insecure around her. And it's understandable that Christina feels that way, but it's also not Rachel's fault. That must that must be weird. You know, Adam said she dressed conservatively during the interview. I didn't catch that until you played that. I'm like, oh, he's clearly trying to sort of like apologize in a weird way for the fact that she's so, she's dressed so sexy. And I was trying to think about my feelings about the way that she dresses, because when you're a woman, you know, your body is a value in a heterosexual landscape, 
patriarchal desire or something. And so women are encouraged to show it off and there's joy and pleasure in showing off your body and being appreciated for that. But the issue is that's the only lens through which people, especially men, especially your boss, see you. That's problematic, especially in a workplace environment where sexuality or sexual desire maybe is it's not really appropriate. Yeah, I feel like in our culture, we have this weird fixation on the idea, especially for men, but just generally that like, if you feel sexual attraction to someone, it's an out of control feeling mm. that it's not possible somehow to be like, objectively, this is a sexually attractive person. I am attracted to them, but I'm also able to be professional. Mm-hmm. because we we can do that and most of us do you know we may see attractive people but we still we have all kinds of complicated relationships that where desire is either present or past I mean we're going to talk about the, the past love arriving back you know but we have all these relationships where we've had different avenues for desire and we're still able to have relationships that are not sexual with people that don't cross lines that don't make people uncomfortable even if sexual desire has been there before or is and so I'm like well is she wrong for wearing these clothes the feminist in me says no but there's another part of me that says but she's also aware Mm -hmm. that it is attractive and she's enjoying that she wants to be regarded so is it okay then that these guys are doing that Mm. You know, in some ways, yes, they're responding to the signals she's sending out. But at the same time, is it okay for her to expect that they'll still treat her professionally, that it won't cause a problem? You know, and up to this point in the episode, like they are treating her professionally. They, she has no clue that this is going on. We as the viewer are feeling uncomfortable, I think, on her behalf. Yeah. I certainly, I'm like, oh, I don't, I, I don't want anyone to talk about her that way. At the same time, I recognize that she must be aware as a beautiful woman that there's something in this charge of wearing these clothes. Anyway, it's a little bit of my complicated feelings about her. It's fascinating. No, I I loved hearing all your thoughts on that. It's it's the way this is different. But I used to wonder, like, with strippers, I would be like, do they have the power? Like, or is it a horrible job? Or is it somewhere in the middle? You know, like, I would have complicated feelings about that, you know, because I, I would be like, it's hard to tell that's their job and and it oftentimes they're making a lot more money doing that than they would another job or or even not a stripper like even just working at a place like Hooters you know like where that's the draw is the way you look and the way you're dressing it's not the exact same thing but it brings up similar feelings for me where I really don't know how to feel. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other cuz the feminist in me wants to be like, yeah, wear whatever you want, but then part of me is like, oh, but I don't want I don't want you to be objectified, but then I'm like that's the whole point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then my head explodes. Right. And I think this is kind of the conundrum of like being a woman who wants to empower other women in our landscape because we see women flaunting their sexuality, flaunting their bodies all over the place. And we're often told like, that's super empowering, go for it and claim it. And, you know, it's yours. But then there's another part of me that's like, but it's always in these super heteronormative ways, you know, like Rachel is a super thin, white, tall, beautiful. I mean, she looks like a doll. Her face is so beautiful. (laughs) It's unreal, actually. And I think, well, of course, she's flaunting that, you know, and it fits into a category. And it just seems like it's a gray zone of empowerment and objectification and each person is navigating it. 
I still will go to the mat to say that I think we can be attracted to someone physically and still be professional and not ever pursue that, you know, like we, we like to, we like to represent it as like our eyeballs are like popping out of our heads and we're, we're you know, <laughs> <Auga>. unable, right, <laughs> right. Unable to like speak and, you know, and that's super romantic and kind of fun and silly and whatever. And I'm sure that does happen from time to time, but I feel like most of us, we're able to say, I note this. I like I like looking at this person, but now I have to do these other things with them that are not dating, not romantic, not sexual, you know, that just put that aside. Yeah. And I felt like there was another facet of this whole topic raised in this scene between Julia and Christina. I just feel really self-conscious in Why? it. I just feel like it's just not like, <gasps> I mean, look Stop it. Your boobs are huge. They're so huge. It's amazing. Okay, that is why I don't I don't want to wear this. It's it looks wonderful. ridiculous. It's ridiculously hot. I look, look at like look at yourself. Dolly Parton. No. It's just not <laughs> just I'm like really uncomfortable in this. Just, you look hot. I don't even want to go tonight. I don't want to leave Nora alone. And if I drink, I'm gonna have if. to pump yeah, pump and dump when I come oh, home. God. And it's just like this big ordeal. Let me see, Christina. <laughs> Christina. It's so terrible. Okay. We're gonna be standing there next to 20 year olds in size zero little mini skirts and things. Great. So you need to break out the big guns. <laughs> I'd like to think that even if we hadn't heard from Adam about Christina's insecurity post-pregnancy, that I'd recognize that Julia's advice is terrible. Like, <laughs> why do they need to compete with size zero 20 year olds? Compete for what? Mm-hmm. I, it just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, break out the big guns. For what purpose? Who's Christina trying to attract? Yeah. No one. And Christina is there saying, I feel really self-conscious. I don't feel comfortable. I don't even want to go. Yeah. It just seems to me like you should feel comfortable and confident in whatever you're wearing. And you should look appropriate for the occasion. Because I do think certain wardrobe choices are inappropriate for certain environments. I think the dress she had on was entirely appropriate for the opening of a recording studio if she felt good in it yeah. and felt like, yeah, I'm going to go rock this. And that like pajamas wouldn't be. No, you need to <laughs> you need to dress up a little bit. But why why put yourself through that it's just to go to a point. party with your family? Yeah. And there's no need to be jealous which I'm sure she knows on a logical level, you know, like she knows logically that Adam is hers and, and she is his like in a nice way, not in a gross belonging way, but you know, yeah. like belonging with each other, not to each other. They, they love each other, but I think it's just really thrown her for a loop just where, where she is. I do get that, but yeah, it feels a little bit like she wore that outfit for Rachel, like you know like to compete with Rachel and she's already like there's no competition there like even if he does find her attractive that's something I used to really simplify in in relationships it's so silly I had this really ridiculous idea of what love meant and I wanted whatever boyfriend I had to think not only that I was beautiful, but that I was the only beautiful woman in the world, which is stupid. <laughs> that's the <laughs> dumbest thing I could think of, you know, that that's not. And it doesn't, it's so illogical. Like we don't love who we love because they're the most pretty person we could imagine, you know, like 
attraction, of course, has something to do with it. And even if he does find Rachel attractive, he doesn't love her, you know, and, and that's what really matters. It's it's who do you have a history with and a rapport with? And, and I don't know. It's just interesting that she feels the need to compete. I didn't even think about that, Caleb, how she's not comfortable. Well, then why is Julia putting that in, in her? You're going to be standing next to these, these people. So... And is that how Julia feels? Like in season one, when Raquel was always around, did Julia feel like I have to wear the sexiest thing in the world? I mean, she went to that pool wearing like a, a swimming suit that you, that you would race in. You know, yeah. her way of competing wasn't to wear a skimpier bikini than Raquel. It was to wear like a serious bathing suit and be like, I'm going to show everybody here that I'm different from people who dress like that. So that's an interesting piece of advice for Julia to give that doesn't even make sense. Also, why would yeah. Julia say that? She's also married to someone who's incredibly, you know, like right. dedicated to her. What are they talking about? It's like neither of you are size zero 20 year olds, nor should you be because you're not. And that's not the best thing in the world to be. I, I mean, I get why someone might feel that pressure. I don't want to like gloss over that, that there are factors telling, especially women Here's the ideal mm -hmm. and any deviation from this, that's the distance between you and being visible and worthy. But it just seemed like Julia, instead of saying, Christina, I think you look hot in that dress. And yes, your boobs are huge, but they look great. <laughs> I think you should feel confident in that. But if you don't, let's find something that you look great in and that you feel great in. But instead, she was just giving her the worst advice reminding her of yeah. these like toxic things like such a good point and julia did feel a little bit like a mouthpiece for the conflict of the story then it was better for the story if christina felt like she had to do that and so someone had to tell it to her and julia didn't have anything else to do in this episode <laughs> so it felt so it felt to her even though i don't think it's necessarily in character no. For Julia, who like didn't want her daughter to be a beauty queen on Halloween, yeah, to say that like doesn't really fit. This scene, I think you're exactly right, Caleb. It's a kind of like Julia's there to to speak from that really like backwards place of like, well, every woman must compete for her man. Yeah, <laughs> even you when know? you've been married for twenty years, like Christina right, or and you're Adam. just gonna lose him, lose yeah. him at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's so the opposite of how you should feel in a healthy, secure relationship. <laughs> exactly. Wow. When I thought their resolution was a really nice example of a healthy, secure relationship. What's going on? I was wondering what happened to you. Oh, nothing. I was just um, standing next to that goddess that you hired, and I started leaking. And Oh, what, breast milk? No, honey, oil. <laughs> okay. Yeah, breast milk. Okay. No, it's not okay, it's Adam. No it was deal. mortifying, okay? It is a big deal to me. Okay. I'm feeling insecure enough as it is and to be mixed in with all these people and it's just like I felt... Okay, all right. I'm good. I'm sorry, I just... You, you don't have to apologize, Christina. I get it. Okay. You know, for what it's worth, though, I think you are beautiful. You always say that. I mean it. You mean it. Look at me. I'm looking at you. Christina, if you could just see yourself the way that I see you, you are so beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thanks. You're nice to me. You know what else? You know what else? Christina. So, I am so horny for you. Oh, I don't like that word. And I want you so bad. Okay, okay. Stop. Come on. Stop. 
I'll, I'll get, no, I'll get there. Sure. I'm just, yes. I, I want to get there. Too. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> you're nice. I love you and you're beautiful to me. You too. Okay. I thought he played that kind of perfectly because I think the only reason he even got into like desiring her was to make her feel better. It wasn't putting pressure on her. You know, I don't think he would have done that. And so I thought I thought that was a really good balance that he struck. And I thought this is the time you call her beautiful when it's just the two of you and it's not yeah. you know about It's not performative. Right. It was so sincere and very sweet. Um I don't know. I I really liked the whole scene. I thought he played it very well. I could totally relate to Christina. I'm not the best at really absorbing compliments. (laughs) You know, you could tell me like 15 great things about myself and I'd be like, oh, thanks. You know, and then the next day I'd be like, I've done nothing in life. I'm a failure. (laughs) So I could really relate to when he's like, no, look at me. Like, seriously, look at me. I'm, I'm telling you, you're beautiful. Like absorb it, absorb it, absorb it. Like don't let your ego and your insecurities get in the way right now. I really found that really very sweet. But I did react very strongly to the use of the word horny. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad word. Use horny as much as you like. But I, I was like, why am I reacting so strongly? And I think it's because the show really pitches Adam and Christina almost as like my surrogate parents somehow. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, don't talk that way to each other. Ah! <laughs> and I really I really liked that he said it, even though I, I also liked that she's like, yeah, I don't like that word. But I sort of liked it because on one hand, as we've been talking so much about, no one wants to be evaluated based solely on how they look. But also, especially if you are self-conscious about the way you look, you do want to be valued for that. It's not that you want that to be separate and you don't want someone to be attracted to you in spite of how you look. You want them to be attracted to you on multiple levels. And one of those levels is physically. I want you to think I look sexy. (laughs) And he did communicate that by saying, it's not just I love you because you're the mother of my children and we have this history. It's like, no, I want to fuck you too (laughs) because you're hot. (laughs) And even if she doesn't like that word, I think the sentiment behind it meant something Valuable. Also, they couldn't have said what if I. Right, they couldn't have said that. (laughs) So that's that that's better either. You know, I don't know what the right one is, but that's the one they can get past the (laughs) censors, right? So that's what they went with. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Well, and that their resolution was insinuating that she's gonna give him oral sex. That was a little jarring to me. Yeah, I was like. I don't know why that's the choice. I did think that was yeah. strange. I'm like, they could have just cut away sooner. I would have been fine with that. Or not to just be a like, Puritan. Or just something. have like regular sex. I don't know. But I mean, they can do whatever they want. She's certainly allowed. But it was just surprising to me. And like, this was the first thing she wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. It does okay. have a weird, like, uh, maybe this is he's gotten his reward for being such a patient guy. Oh, like, you could yeah, interpret yeah. it that I way. I not thought of that, but you're kind of gross. gross. Yeah. yeah, I don't like yeah. that. I, the one thing I did appreciate is I don't, sometimes in the movies, when it comes to, to people having sex and people having oral sex or whatever, <laughs> there's this like super quick reaction on the part of the person's face. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, 
things just got started there. So right. do not think that, you know, there's going to be these like fireworks going off. So I appreciated that the show, Adam just looks almost like wistful. I don't know. Sort of like <laughs> using on, on how wonderful life is. You know? He things didn't go straight to like, moment. right. It didn't go to theatrics, but this is also not a show that would probably go through the whole sexual rigmarole. Yeah. Well, there was this other little like mini storyline around the opening of the luncheonette, which was Zeke and Camille <laughs> being asked to babysit and, and Zeke not wanting to stay home. <laughs> I did think it was kind of cold on Adam's part to like covertly uninvite his parents from a big night involving half of their children by asking them to babysit. But I, I did admire that Camille's perspective on it was, well, we are helping. Mm -hmm. This is how we're helping. And I did think if the baby is that young, who yeah. are you going to ask to babysit? Like when Adam was like, we'll get another babysitter. I'm like, who are you going to get? Like, you don't want, you know, like a high school kid, probably the, the way that it might be fine to leave, you know, Sydney and Jabbar with someone young. You don't want yeah. to leave a newborn with someone, you know, it made sense that that Camille would rather feel safe and comfortable with with Nora than go to a party and be maybe worrying about her. I, I got that yeah. totally. When I saw that storyline, I was like, oh, I get the title of the episode. <laughs> The in between, <laughs> because Zeke is trying to go in between. Oh. So he, he starts with Drew and his friend and sort of plants the seed there about the party. And then it just kind of grows from there. It just, it was, it was interesting. Anyway, I was like, oh, he's being, he's going in between. I didn't even yeah. think of that. I didn't really question the title at all. That That's perfect. Yeah. The most interesting thing to me about that storyline was, I think, not even the point of it. But because I did not think it was cool of Zeke to use Camille's feelings, well, to lie about Camille's feelings right. as a way to get what he wanted. But then it made it got me thinking, it seems like Zeke thinks or perhaps knows that people will value Camille's feelings more than they will value his. Because I think everything he attributed to Camille was actually genuinely his feeling. She feels a little shunned. She feels left out. <laughs> Why did he think that he wasn't allowed to communicate that he was feeling that way? Good point. He, ha he had to deflect it on her or he felt like no one will care if I feel shunned. <laughs> but they will care if Camille feels shunned. Like none of those are okay. You should feel allowed to communicate your feelings and you should feel like those feelings will be honored at least somewhat. Oh. And then yet he didn't even stay for the whole party. I love he felt that. irrelevant oh. or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> he was trying to talk about Grace, like, and those young women were just like, "What are who? Who is this?" Well, listeners, if you're wondering who Grace Slick is, uh, he he kind of explained who she was. But I did look her up, and um, my favorite Grace Slick song is "Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now" from Mannequin. Oh mm. yeah, I kind of forgot they did that song. That's a great song. Well. I kind of liked how that story, I liked that this episode had, you know, some serious nitty gritty storylines, but then I would say two kind of little storylinettes or something like just, yeah. Um, and one of them was the Zeke Camille one. And I really liked how that resolved. Yeah, you're right. It feels a little colder when you're like, he left because he felt irrelevant. But when he went home and played, you know, that music for 
Camille and then she got it immediately and they started dancing. I felt it was more like he just realized that he in some ways was more satisfied being at home instead of trying to compete or be part of this crowd Mm. where he didn't really fit in. And he, instead of feeling really bummed about that, he went home where he did feel like he fit in and was happy. You know, I thought that's lovely, really. Oh, that's a lot nicer. (laughs) (laughs) So I I thought that was kind of sweet. And the whole thing was, was nice. Although I, (laughs) I mostly thought Camille came off so great in this episode, but the one thing was when she was like, well, I feel like it's right to babysit. So if you want to go to the party, go ahead, but I'm going to (laughs) babysit. And then he immediately jumps on it. And maybe you're supposed to be on, on her side. Like, Hey, but I, I was like, he made it clear what he wanted. Yeah. You don't gave... make the offer right. if you don't want him to take it. Yeah. And she's like, hey, I'm like, you offered. Like, <laughs> so maybe he wanted I her to. the exact same thing. Maybe she wanted him to hem and haw a little. But, you know, that's performative. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I really thought it was funny. I, I also, I do like Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> like when I was a kid, my dad, when he would cart us around, he always listened to Oldie Station. I was mostly caught up with thinking about how much I love the Jefferson Airplane song, White Rabbit, which is like an Alice in Wonderland thing, but probably has some drug references. I don't even know, <laughs> uh, which is not the song that they danced to, but I thought that was really sweet when he came home. Cause I also perceived that he was kind of like, Oh, I want to be with my wife who actually gets my reference and yeah. can reminisce about this time when, you know, this, this place, hate Ashbury, it was like it was site of lots of, hijinks of youth and some social revolution as well (laughs) you know I also thought it was interesting that they portrayed Max in that scene Max isn't really in this episode much but they portrayed that he just kept playing with the Legos and I was like oh yeah that's sad but that does seem right that seems right for what I would think of as of a kid on the autism spectrum that he wouldn't get kind of emotional thing that's happening that the other kids just immediately pick up on and dance you know Sydney and Jabbar just kind of like going crazy and Max is just sitting there with his toys I also liked seeing that impromptu dance party since we've seen the siblings the kids do that at least twice before like before the prom or before Drew's dance I don't think that was prom but he took a girl to a dance and Adam taught him and ended up having (laughs) a dance party and then at Thanksgiving, they had that. Well, and I guess at Sarah's 40th birthday. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're doing dance party. So <laughs> to see like, oh, Zeke and Camille do it even when none of their kids are around. That's where they got I it mean, probably. Sometimes that's where they got that's it. That's so it, cute. Felt, it felt like it lent some nice uh, consistency and like history to it. I did not have a family that had impromptu dance parties. So it's, but I've always no. found it very joyful to watch on Parenthood. I, I you know, maybe you could call it corny, but. I, I like it. I thought it was funny that Sydney was like, you've got the fever like Uncle Adam. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's go to the Sarah and Seth storyline. Yeah. I wanted to kick this off with two jokes I found real funny, like right <laughs> off the bat in the storyline. One is when they see where Seth is going to be living. Now I know what to get you for housewarming. What? Anything. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I like that. And then I also liked when she was telling Amber about this place. I guess I was just, I was more surprised than anything by the name of the motel, the, the Relapse Inn. <laughs> Very funny. 
Oh, I enjoyed I love how, that. how straight she played it. Yeah. And it was like the first scene after the theme song. So you really had no clues that she was joking until she got to the name of the hotel. Well executed. She's so funny. Like, like I don't know. I, we probably talk about it often, but even so, do we talk about it often enough? How effortlessly funny <laughs> Lauren Graham is. It's yeah. just perfect. I, I, I can see why everyone falls in love with her who does. Like, I'm like, yep, right. It's just, it's that. I mean, she's beautiful, but like also she's just going to crack you up. Yeah. And her chemistry with Mae Whitman is through the roof. Perfection. Chemistry. Yeah, chemistry. Amber's offer to let Seth stay with her was so unbelievably generous. I feel like, I mean, I feel like we did see Sarah react this way, but I think you'd have to be taken aback by just what a thoroughly decent person you raised. Because we know that Amber is no huge fan of her father. So for her to do that was really touching. I kind of thought Amber was MVP of this episode. Like she was so good and she had to do everything. She was very funny in certain parts. Um, like the scene where she's joking around with her mom and you know, her former teacher. And I was, I was even like, I think that might be their first scene that the three of them ever had together. And it seemed like they'd interacted a million times, the three of them before it was so great. So it's Friday. Are you free on Friday to come to my brother's opening party? You're, I'm not afraid. You're not afraid to meet my entire family. You don't want to keep me under wraps any longer. <laughs> I have not been keeping you under wraps. I have been saving you from having to deal with... Hey, this, that's Amber. Hi. Hey. Hey, Amber. Hi. Mister's here. You know, you can call me Mark. Really? Yeah. Are you sure? Yep. Maybe we should just jump right to Dad, is that... Oh, my God. What? What's wrong with you? How was work? Huh? Uh, work was inspirational. Okay. You know, every time you see someone's eyes light up when you pass them that frothy beverage, it's just... It's like I'm giving a gift to myself, actually. I feel it. I feel the magic. It's beautiful. Do you want to pull up a chair and sit and... Just the three of us? Come on. No, I don't think so. I got to go upstairs and get settled in anyway. So All right. I'm going to go to bed. Okay, honey. Kids have fun. All Not right. too much fun. You're killing me. Bye. I'll make Bye. you a nice uh, bowl of cereal in the morning. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she just runs the gamut. She has that... See, I mean, like... She... I can't even tell if that's, you know, improvised or scripted. It felt improvised. It felt like yeah. just that funny. And but then, you know, obviously she gets into the heavy stuff later with, you know, watching this sort of train wreck happen with, with her mom. And I just feel like so much of what she does in this episode is unspoken. You know, like you just see her worrying and it's so written on her face. I'm just like, what an extraordinary actress, really. It's just very impressive. What did you think of this line in her first scene with Seth? Hey, Amber. Thanks. You just... I don't know how much this means to me. I'm doing this for mom. Just so we're clear. Too harsh? Fair warning? What say you? I thought, ouch, burn. (laughs) (laughs) But I also thought, given the context of his, like the past, I think she wanted to say to him, you're on thin ice, man, with me. You're still on thin ice. Like I'm helping you, but I want you to know I'm mostly doing this because I know that my mom is going to be super concerned if you're at the relapse in, which I had just, I just spent some time wondering if that was like actually like a real conflict or if that was just a gambit to get Seth closer. Mm -hmm. 
But then I thought, well, no, if you really do struggle with like substances and you're in a kind of down and out place where people with substance abuse issues might live like extended stays and stuff, maybe that is actually a bad scene. It may cause you to relapse. And I was like, okay, so that's a fair conflict, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I liked, I actually thought Amber was within her rights to be harsh. It was a gentle harshness if such a thing can be possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly just thought not really about how harsh it was to her dad. I think all I was thinking was, man, she loves her mom so much and her mom deserves that. You know, I I just, I felt weirdly touched, even though now that we're talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's super harsh. I I get that. But I, I agree she was within her rights. And I think she also, it didn't even feel like she was trying to punish him. But just like keep those boundaries up, you know, like don't get too close to me, man. Don't try to hug or like, you know, that we're not we're not there. I didn't do this out of the goodness of my heart for you. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. And like Ruth, when you said, is there such a thing as gentle harshness? That's exactly what I felt. And like speaking of how great an actress Mae Whitman is, I feel like what however she delivered that line it didn't feel vicious to me. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like there was any like venom in it. It was just like, yeah, like a distinction that she wanted to make clear. Like, don't think we have crossed some big milestone in our relationship, which would be understandable if you thought that, but that's not actually why I'm doing this. Yeah. And I don't think that that even really diminishes the generosity of her gesture. No, It's just maybe not directed at him. But it is still incredibly nice of her to let him stay there, maybe even more so because, you know, she's the one inconvenienced by this. I was so relieved, too, because I really didn't quite remember how this all went down. And I was so afraid that Sarah was going to be like, come stay with me. And I was like, no, 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 that's a terrible (laughs) idea. Don't do that. So when Amber suggested this, I'm like, that's a really appropriate way to handle this, too. Like, it felt... More like the real life solution and less like the TV solution. You know what I mean? I feel like most TV shows would have Sarah invite Seth to stay with her. And then that would be a conflict that was different with Mark. Instead of Mark seeing, taking in this information and being like, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be upset by this. You know, like, because it's, you know, Amber is staying at home and and Seth's in Amber's place. Like that seems on the up and up, but you could tell he's still uncomfortable. Like that was just so much more nuanced. I liked that. Yeah. Speaking of not remembering exactly how things played out, I truly did not remember what happened in this scene until about two seconds before it happened. <laughs> What'd you do today? I took a walk and uh, did some reading and some yoga. No, you did not. Oh, you did. Oh, you did. Can you please resist no, no, the urge sorry, to mock me? I didn't realize you did. Can like I, this? Yeah, all Is that, that something? I did it the all. The tree? <laughs> I can't believe you did yeah, yoga. Nothing. I talked to Drew. Oh, you did? Yeah. Who's this girl he's hanging out with? This Amy? I don't know nothing. She's nice and very sweet. They're cute together. He doesn't tell me anything. Oh, because you're the mom. He's 16. You're going to get name, rank, and serial number. What'd yeah. you get out of him? Oh, nothing. Just every hairy detail of his first kiss. Shut up. Yeah. I didn't know any of that. Father-son kind of stuff. No, tell me. No way. No <gasps> way, <are> you. <laughs> tell me a hairy detail. Hey. Oh, God. Are you? It's okay. Everything's broken in here. Look at this. Ugh. Oh, man. (laughs) 
It's a uh, birthday card from when she was eight. From who? From me. Probably the only one I ever sent her. I can't believe she still has that thing. I can. We would have made a great family, huh? I want to make this right. And that's when I remembered, oh, they kiss here, don't they? <laughs> Sitting on the floor. And I had a ridiculously large reaction. Oh, let's hear it. Uh, no, I mean, just in, <laughs> while watching out loud, I was like, no! <laughs> oh, I'm glad. It, uh, yeah, I wanted to hear that. It felt like it was coming. <laughs> and I was like, does it? Does it? Oh, oh, man, it does. And it's not okay. And, you know, she did not pull away no. for quite a long time. And uh, I think that is absolutely something she has to tell Mark about. But it's like, do you think there's any argument to like keeping it a secret? Especially if it was if it was more like a wake up call to her that she cannot, cannot, cannot ever let that happen again. Then is it maybe like, let's not even open that can of worms and don't tell Mark because now I know like I, I got too close to the flame and I got burned, but I'm not going to tell him. First of all, I I totally get why they kissed. I think that it, later when I rewatched the episode, I realized that Camille, when Sarah is talking about kind of like feeling these feelings for Seth again, Camille says like, I think you're just longing for the family that you wanted to be, that you wished you could have been. And I totally think that that's the case. I also don't doubt that like that history that they have between them, the attraction that they've always had, it's not like it's died, I guess, to go back to an earlier point, like they have had this chemistry and there is a sense of regard for one another. And it's heightened, I would imagine on Sarah's part, because she's seeing Seth maybe getting his life together. And she probably spent at least several years of their relationship and maybe years after it ended wishing and hoping that he would get his life together. Like if only he would change, this would be perfect. And now it's like, it's right there. He might be changing. And I can see why they kiss. I can also see why she doesn't immediately go tell Mark because she's not certain that she's going to say no to Seth. Mm. <laughs> I think she's really not sure which is why she has that conversation with her mother that Amber overhears. I'm so happy with Mark. It isn't that. I'm, you know, I look at him and I think, what am I, crazy? I I have the best thing I've ever had in my, in my life. Really. I mean, it's not about him. It's just to see Seth becoming the man I always thought he could be all those years. It is kind of moving, and I do picture it. He's the father of your children. It has to do with your whole sense of being a family again. No, Mom, I, I picture the two of us together. Wow. In reality, those of us on the outside, I don't think there's any guarantee that Seth is like a-okay. Yeah. He's like right. taken maybe two baby steps. He did yoga once. <laughs> like, and it, it's like, yeah, from the outside, it's kind of like clear as day. But I, as a viewer, I was like, oh, I can totally, totally get why 
and I want you to work, I want them to work out <laughs> as a viewer. Yeah. Despite the fact that Mark seems like a nice guy, I'm like, I forget about him. <laughs> I write back to the past. <laughs> yeah. wow. But that's complicated. So anyway, I, I don't think it's necessarily right that she doesn't tell Mark right away, but I think she doesn't because she wants to buy time to figure out how she feels. It's funny. I didn't even really think about whether she should tell Mark, even though I do think that constitutes cheating. That's a betrayal. And really, maybe I didn't think of it because in a way she's been cheating this whole time, like an emotional affair, I think. The kiss just kind of solidified it in a way. I mean, I just, I really, I understand it, but I don't think it's fair how she's been treating Mark this this whole time. I think, you know, really taking him for granted. But I sympathize with her, I guess, because this this is a hard, unusual situation. But still. You know, this raises something that I hadn't even thought about. But is it ever okay? Let me say what I'm thinking first okay. and then ask the question. <laughs> the kiss did not seem really very sexual. It seemed like a kiss between two people who love each other. And at the end of this episode, when Seth says, I love you, she says, I love you too. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me that, um, Sarah, you're in a relationship <laughs> with someone else and you just told another man that you love him because I didn't take it that way at all. I took it as, even though we are not going to be pursuing anything right now, I will always love you mm -hmm. because of who you are in my life and in my children's lives and in my greater family's life. I will always love you. Is it ever okay if that is what the kiss was? Mm -hmm. Which I'm not sure that it was in that <laughs> moment. Because like you said, Ruth, I think she is not sure then what that kiss is going to lead to. But had it been just a, yeah, I was with the father of my children and the former love of my life, and we shared a moment that included a kiss that didn't lead anywhere else. Is that okay? Do you, I don't know. It just, it feels so specific that it makes me wonder. It's not like I ran into another guy and kissed right, him. Right, right. No, not at all. I think I ultimately fall on the side of since Seth leaves at the end of this episode, which effectively puts closure there, I think it's okay that she doesn't tell Mark about that because I think it might only hurt Mark. And I don't think it's like Mark can't trust her or something. You know, I think those were special circumstances. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened with anybody else. Right. And so because of that, I think it might be okay. If Seth, though, had found that apartment downtown and continued to be in close proximity with her all the time, I'd be like, you can't keep doing this to him. You you right. should tell him the truth. Let him decide if this if if he forgives you, or you should just let him go because you're not being fair to him. But I think Seth leaving means she gets to like reinvest in herself and this decidedly, I think, healthier relationship. So that's where I fall. What what about you two? I think I, I agree with you. Sometimes being completely 100 percent honest is probably not the best mm -hmm. at the same time I guess it depends on your relationship and what you think the other person wants to know but once somebody knows something they can't unknow it yeah. and if truly the path is closed and you've kind of like reflected on why that is it seems like it would be hard to kind of 
drop that information to the current relationship with Mark and not have it affect things. And it would be better if it didn't. I don't know. Maybe that's just a justification. But I do like the thing that you said, Caleb, which I also didn't even bat an eye at the end. They said, I love you to each other because it made perfect sense to me, Yeah, which is why I'm so drawn to like them. <laughs> when I was younger, I really didn't get this. I, I had no clue that love could encompass having a romantic relationship, having an end and still having something that you call love, but it's completely different than what you think it will be. I never anticipated that that was possible, but it is possible. It changes. It's a different kind of love. You know, it's not a romantic sexual love. It's not even an active everyday in contact love. It's like a, I care about you. I always care about you. I always want the best for you. I will be on your team. Even if I'm not actively every day on your team, you, you just know I'm there. And I thought, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, what's confusing about her situation is it's like, she's kind of like, is it possible that that love could come back to be this really awesome daily presence? And it seems like there's these signs that maybe it could, though I, I tend to agree with Melissa that realistically, Mark is the better choice. It's just so hard to say no to the draw of the past. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Although I'm, I think I'm a little less, I never really quite entertained Seth as like a viable romantic option for her. Because I think I thought like, no, just down that path lies uncertainty and instability and danger, potentially. And Mark is just so much more stable and mature. But there are certainly... I mean, till the day any of these fictional characters die, <laughs> there will be things that Seth brings to the table that Mark will never be able to mm-hmm. compete with. And part of that is just that she knew Seth 20 years or so before mm-hmm. Mark. It's like, you're running that race. You're always starting 20 years behind. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if a lot of those years were really rough and they have children together and he will never not be their father. So... And I also, I question, does she really want another shot with him? Or is what she really wants is for all of those bad years to have never happened? And I worry that it's that. And it's like, but you're never going to get that. You're never going to get that rewrite of history. I'll use another Friends reference. <laughs> In, I think it's the season six finale when Monica and Chandler get engaged. Earlier in that episode, Richard shows back up and is all interested And she's like, well, why couldn't Richard have wanted to get married then? Or why couldn't Chandler want to get married now? You know, it was this this idea of she's happy with Chandler now. She's happy with the person she's with now. But there is that pull of like, but I would have had an entirely different life if this person had given me what I needed and wanted back then. And then I never even would have met Mark or Chandler, you know, romantically, it just, it wouldn't have even happened. And yeah, that's strange, right? Like the idea that your life just would have been different. And so it's almost like different versions of yourself. Like somehow when Sarah was with Seth versus when she was with Mark, it felt to me like somehow she was compartmentalizing in a way that she didn't even feel like the same person. Like it was like she was traveling back in time when she was hanging out with Seth and she was in her present when she was hanging out with Mark. And I found that very interesting as well. Yeah. 
Sarah was like going out of her way to help him. And when she brought him groceries, I know it was just a premise to get him over, get her over at the loft or whatever. But I thought, hmm, I think you really want him to be successful, which is completely understandable. But like, if you, if you keep on this path, I think you're going to start to become a little bit too supportive. (laughs) Like you're almost being codependent in some way. Like I'm going to do everything I can to kind of like make it smooth, smooth for him. Yeah. Which I think maybe tells us a lot about what she maybe unconsciously wishes for, which is for him to be that different guy. Or maybe, as you said, Caleb, for those years that were lost to somehow be recovered or redone. But I thought, no, 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 this is a dangerous pattern, like to constantly be there, kind of like holding his hand. Mm -hmm is different than maybe going to that rehab therapy session thing. Yeah. Like that's, it seemed different than bringing groceries to him. He's perfectly capable of buying the groceries himself. <laughs> like it's almost enabling at a certain point. Yeah. But you saying that, that it seems like a, you know, is this a pattern that makes me think of something I hadn't thought about with Sarah. I took note of Amber all throughout this episode. I, I really loved how she related to Seth. That it, she seemed cautious, but friendly, mm-hmm. certainly civil. And especially when she dropped by her place for the lipstick before the party, I was really impressed with how she treated him. And he had fixed her shower head and she realized like, oh, he's not going to tour anymore, even though I know he loves that because he recognizes that it makes it too easy for him to keep making these bad choices and she still wasn't exactly warm, but she was clearly trying and she was clearly recognizing that something was different about him. And I thought oh, it was cool to compare her behavior with him then versus last season mm. when they went to his concert and she was making snippy comments the whole time or yelling at him in the kitchen about missing her birthdays and stuff. All of which I think is fair because he has hurt her a lot. But to me, it seemed like that's what a year of just growing up will do. Yeah. And maturity. And wow, look, Amber really has grown. But it, what you just said, Ruth, makes me wonder if this is what Sarah is doing at 40, <laughs> what was she doing at 20? Mm. What kind of concessions was she making for him then? How was she enabling him? How was she tackling any of these issues with 20 years less experience and maturity under her belt? And I'm not judging her at all. If anything, I'm sympathizing with her more because that would be really hard. And she was probably just doing the best that she knew how to do at the time. And maybe it wasn't good for him or her or anyone. But you can't know that. Wow. Yeah. That's like profound. I never, <laughs> you know, that's that's so good. Well, it makes me think of the relationship I had when I was 19 and 20. I was with an alcoholic uh And I mean, he, can you imagine if you had gotten pregnant by him? I mean, it was honestly like my worst fear. You would still be tied to him. It was my worst fear that that would happen. Yeah. I was so cautious about it um, for that very reason. Yeah. And, and yeah, we got to have a clean break. We broke up. Uh, We broke up (laughs) and that was that. Um, But yeah, I've, I've thought about that. Like I really did feel like his sobriety was my responsibility. And I mean, I, I didn't make friends, make plans with friends. I didn't 
have nights to myself, even though I love nights to myself. Like I, I like a lot of time to myself and I just didn't really have it, that whole relationship because I felt so responsible for him. And I think it's why I've really been just wincing at a lot of what Sarah has done with Seth in these episodes because I'm like, oh, you are just taking on too much. They're supportive. And then there is something else entirely and that's where you're headed. And even though their relationship is fascinating to watch and I find John Corbett just eminently likable and, and I want to root for him no matter what, I, I've been so nervous. And, and I guess that brings me back to that question of did Amber do the right thing? Because I'm so firmly like thinking that <laughs> Mark is the healthier choice <laughs> that I don't think I even stopped to question it until we, you know, were talking today about all of this stuff. I, I was like, yep, thank God she did that. <laughs> we had to stop this train from, from wrecking. <laughs> but now I'm wondering, was that right? Hey. Hey, honey. How was the party? It was good. It was fun, you know. Party. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. just need your help on something. Yeah. Um, I just am struggling because, you know, Mom has been really happy the past couple months, and I haven't seen that in a while. But now that you're back, you can see that she's still... And... I get it. I'm, I'm getting in the way, aren't I? Sorry. I think she did the right thing, but I wish that she didn't. <laughs> but I, I think she did do the right thing. And it actually felt like ultimately, as someone I think would be more prone to be like Sarah, I was like, thank goodness for Amber, who sort of sees that this isn't the right time to kind of go down this path. Seth has done barely anything to really reestablish, like, or to even establish, I shouldn't say reestablish. He's on a totally new life. Yeah. And I thought the romantic in me is like, who cares? <laughs> Back to the past, embrace what the, what could have been. But I think Amber as the more hesitant one and the one who kind of sees it more clearly is like, look, this is causing her confusion. I think she was right. I just my heart says, so oh, I didn't want her to do that. Though I did think it's interesting for a show to portray a moment where the child does something more adult-like than the adult. Yeah. Yeah. Than either one of them. Yeah. Which I thought was really fascinating and is what leads, I think, us to even ask this question is Amber in the right? Because it's like, she's kind of manipulating her mother's life for good reason, mm -hmm. but she's doing something behind her mother's back that has a result that affects her mother. And her mother doesn't know that they ever had that conversation. So it feels very strange, even though objectively, I'm like, yeah, I think Seth, Seth is ready to kind of dig right into Sarah's life and just, you know, be there. And it's like, yeah, realistically, you all need, he needs more, maybe in six months to a year, he could come back, but it seems too soon. So yeah, I'm conflicted about it, but I, I think Amber was right. You saying that, that it's not the right time is such an interesting point too, because it's like, give it some time. 
Because if she and Mark aren't going to work out on their own, you know, and, and a year or two passes, it's not like she and Seth will be like, oh, our history is gone. Our connection is over. You know, like that will kind of always be there as a possibility if they find themselves single, you know, and, and, and he does more to establish his, his sobriety and his new life. You're right. It's just, he's barely started. This isn't the right time. And if, you know, it's, I think it's a good risk to take that if it turns out that this does work out with Mark, well, then it was obviously worth pursuing if, if that becomes the next great love of her life. And, and, you know, then maybe, so yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, why, why now? Does it have to be right this second as he's barely sober? Like two episodes ago, he was drunk and beaten, you know, like, I mean, it's, yeah. Realistically, when you're in that situation, kind of this sense of uncertainty I feel like it makes natural sense that when you, someone from your past comes in, you're like, oh, well, I'll just cling to them because yeah. there was a there was a story there and it didn't end happily, but we have a chance now. Maybe we can make it end happily, but it's like, it's a false, really circumstances have completely changed. You know, they're different people now and stuff. And maybe that's good, but it's also like, there's just, it's a real risk, especially for him, because I think he's really at a point where he doesn't he's not going to tour anymore I kind of start I, I was asking myself does he even have a home yeah. evidently doesn't yeah but yeah he was he was gonna move someplace in downtown Berkeley and yeah yeah he was looking for a place to live yeah so he must not have had like an established residence prior oh, yeah. to that before that we just kind of continually in a nomad way I, I just think it makes sense that he would then grasp on oh, Sarah, yes, we could have been a family. Maybe we could still be that family. That answers a lot of what if questions for me, Yeah. but it's like that may not actually provide the stability that's the most healthy for either of them. Yeah. yeah. That's something I loved about what Amber did. And like Melissa, you mentioned earlier that Sarah has been kind of compartmentalizing these two men. She's been doing it so much that I don't think Seth knows much about Mark at all. So I'm not sure he would have known that he was coming in between, to Uh use the title of the episode, (laughs) anything if Amber hadn't told him. Mm -hmm. So really, it wasn't even like she was criticizing him or attacking him. She was almost just bringing it to his attention. Like, I know that you don't know that mom has been really happy these last few months. And I know that you don't know that a big part of that is because she's with someone who's really good for her. I know that you do know she still has feelings for you. And it's complicating things. And something I loved about the scene was that, like, I think she delivered the message perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I think he truly did get it. And I felt like Amber was kind of the only person who could make him hear it. Zeke wouldn't be able to do that, no. for sure. Adam wouldn't be able to do that. I, I can't think of anyone, even Drew, like Drew likes Seth. Yeah. For Amber <laughs> to come to him and not yell at him or berate him or criticize him. I think it's hard for him to disregard her feelings when she of all people makes herself vulnerable in front of him. And it was such a short scene. Yeah. I mean, I I played the entire thing, but man, it packed a punch. And I also think it's funny, Melissa and I often talk about the Christina sends an email version of the show, (laughs) which is, you know, it's not maximum drama when people do the most reasonable thing and resolve situations sensibly and logically. Yeah. This kind of was though, 
the less dramatic option. I mean, the more the the maximum conflict that could have happened from this is Seth does move in with Sarah, and then there's a full fledged love triangle between Sarah and it's and not Mark a kiss. She Seth. sleeps with him. Yeah, yeah, and just all the this Amber kind of just nips it all in the bud and says, "No, we're not going to do that. I'm going to set some boundaries. You're going to respect them like an adult would, and you're going to remove yourself." And yet I still did find it so compelling. I think so much more so than if they had done the maximum conflict. And maybe it is because there are still so many layers to this. I mean, as evidenced by us even talking about this right now. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't a simple solution. It was just a healthy one. I'm often more fascinated by the the more nuanced kind of option. I often talk about this. I hope I haven't mentioned it on the podcast before, but like I thought the most interesting storyline ever on Desperate Housewives wasn't a real affair. It was Lynette who started working with this man at a restaurant and they had this great chemistry and they really got along and they started staying after work almost every night and just having a meal together. And then she would go home a little bit later. No kissing, no, no, no. It was, I think, kind of an emotional affair and she wasn't telling her husband about it. Then one day that man kissed her and she said, you've ruined it. And she had to quit, you know, like, and it was like, it was so interesting. And then she like, there's this scene where she goes home and she's sobbing in the bathroom and she's turned on the shower so her husband won't hear. And he's like, are you okay in there, honey? And she's like, I'm fine. And I I just remember finding that so much more interesting than if she'd slept with this man, you know, like then if it would, because you see that constantly on shows, there's something so much more to me, like interesting about someone being like tantalized by the idea of another life entertaining it but not going through with it you know for what I I don't know there's something to me like more real about that and it feels less about like lust or or I don't know it's just it's the what ifs get us all whether it's about relationships (laughs) or jobs or places we could have lived you know we only get the one life that we have but I think we're often wondering is this the best life that we could have chosen for ourselves was this the way to go and that's what Sarah's struggling with in this storyline. And that's what makes it so compelling. I agree with you both. (laughs) There was something interesting about the dialogue in this scene. And I don't know if it was written this way or if it was just the way that Mae Whitman acted, but she hardly finished her sentences. Yeah. You can see that she's still, and then she left. Yeah. And she just doesn't even say it. And it's, and it's like, he got it. And I found it so moving that he immediately understood and and was like, I'm in the way. I I will get out of the way. And I'm like, that is also an act of love for Sarah and for Amber. Yeah. I mean, that I'm sure that goes further towards repairing their relationship than replacing her shower head does, which is not to (laughs) discount that, too, because that is a very generous act (laughs) as well. But she didn't ask for that. She is asking for this and for him to hear her and say, you got it. Yeah. That's going to help them. Amber won't forget that. No. Like I said, when I was younger, I think I had a really black and white understanding of love, especially romantic love. And as I get older, I understand that breakups are sad and they happen, but sometimes things come after that are valuable, you know? And I'm not saying I'm not friends with all my exes. (laughs) me. I'm just saying like sometimes, even with people you never speak to again, there's a connection there. There's something of value. And I think that point you made, Melissa, about what ifs, like part of what's so toxic about the what if thinking is just all this like 
tension you can't really resolve because there's no way to find out what if if it's about the past the past is past and i think for the health of somebody's sort of like mind their well-being you kind of have to see the more nuanced varieties of love or nuanced varieties of what you could do as a career or what your life might look like and if you hold too hard to this one idea it ends up being more depressing so it's really moving to me, the Sarah and Seth storyline, because you don't yeah. see it often that there would be this choice not to pursue something, especially because it is such a narrative driver. Like, yeah, absolutely. Pursue something, make a mess of it. Like you get mm-hmm. 15 more episodes out of that mess. <laughs> yeah. But I like that this is a different version of adult experience When it's something I kept wishing someone would have said to Seth, although I don't know which character could have said it organically, but Seth keeps saying, maybe then we'd still be a family. They are still a family Mm -hmm. and they always will be. It's just that he has an idea of what family is, which is mom and dad together, kids together, all together. And at this point it is sort of like, well, Seth, you wrecked that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and everyone's sorry that you did. Probably no one more so than Seth himself. But that doesn't mean that's the only way you can be a family. There's a lot of other ways. And him leaving at the end of this episode is like the most generous thing he probably could do for his family, which is ironic because him leaving in the past. <laughs> has been so destructive to his family. But things are complicated and things change. He did this at his daughter's request. He made plans to keep himself in check and healthy so that he can be there for his family. It just, yeah, I think they all maybe need to reconceptualize what their family is going to look like because it's not going to look like Adam and Christina's or Zeke and Camille's or Joel and Julia's. And I'm sure when that is what you see all around you, it can feel like, well, anything different from that is less than. Yeah. But not necessarily. No. And I do want to be sure to say that I'm really happy that the the show went to great lengths, I feel like, to show that Sarah really is happy with Mark. Like, I, I, it, there were so many instances of, like, you know, Christina and Julia at that party being like, oh, your mom's so happy. She deserves that. Or, like, in Sarah's conversation with Camille, she specifically says, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm, I'm so happy. It really has nothing to do with him. I was like, that's important. Because if she, if this is just a guy she's, like, on the fence about, like, he's fine. He's really kind. You know, and that's it. There's no, like, deeper love then what Amber did, I don't think is as great because, yeah, you, you know, because then it's like, oh, just for some guy that you're... Let her have this flavor of the month. Right, know? right. No. The idea that this has potential to be something really great, but also a healthier kind of love. I think that's important that the show really went to great lengths to demonstrate that. I'm also glad you brought up that scene at the party with Julia where she said, they seem really happy. She deserves that. It made me think of Alan Ball, who was the creator of Six Six Feet Feet Under Under. and True Blood. He once said that when he was still a writer in network television, that all of the notes that he got could really be boiled down to two notes. And they were make everyone nicer and articulate the subtext. (laughs) And 
I thought about that second note in that scene at the party because it felt like articulated subtext to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're watching Mae Whitman's face and we're seeing Sarah and Mark really happy. We're seeing Mark introduced to the entire Braverman family and really nailing it. Yeah. We're getting the message <laughs> that she's happy. And so hearing Julia say it felt a little bit like the show revealing that it thought we weren't smart enough to get it <laughs> unless they told us. And I was like, oh, we got it. You you did it. You did it. You set it up really well for us. You didn't have to say it. <laughs> quibble. It's just a quibble. Any other thoughts on this whole storyline? I'm not sure it was a smart directorial decision to zoom in on that Holt family photo. (laughs) We saw it like kind of obscured view in a previous episode, but here it was like full on and and I don't know anything anything about Photoshop. So maybe that is the best it can be done, but it looked like someone just cut out magazine pictures and then glued them on someone else's body. And like even like Mae Whitman from her child acting days, yeah. like someone cut out like her from picture floats. from Hope Floats. <laughs> I'm glad you said oh. that. I thought it looked really demented and weird, and yeah, not at they all like, like like a wholesome family photo. It just looked so fake that yeah. I also was just like, oh no, that's it true. was distracting. Yeah. yeah. I do want to say briefly for anyone, particularly my mom, who was wondering what the card said. The card from Amber's eighth birthday that Seth found earlier in the episode, that one said, better late than never, love dad. So he sent it to her on her eighth birthday, but I think not even remotely on time. And then at the end, I thought the cards that he left. Oh, that got me. A very beautiful gesture. (laughs) The first one for her first birthday said, you were a beautiful baby and a star the day you were born. Love, daddy. And the second one, which was for her seventh birthday, I believe, said, you were the coolest kid I've ever known. So sorry I let you down. Love, dad. Very sweet. Yeah. And it was nice to see a gesture land with Amber. You know, he gave her his guitar last season and... She didn't want it, you know, it, it, it didn't connect. This felt maybe less easy, you know, like I can give you a guitar. That's that takes nothing. But to like amend some, try to amend something that I'd messed up on. I missed all the birthdays. Here are some cards. Here are some genuine notes that I'm writing to you. That takes reflection, humility, vulnerability. I think that really meant something to her, especially since he was gone. <laughs> especially since he and, wasn't. And, yeah. yeah, and after he had heard her out on this request and followed through with it. Yeah. You know, the guitar, it seemed like a bribe. Mm-hmm. I want you to like me, so here's the guitar. In this episode, she had already extended this olive branch that he took and was grateful for. And then she asked something of him. He gave it to her. And now on top of that, he's trying to make amends. It's less bribey and more uh, thoughtful, I thought. I loved it. It's very sweet. I'm kind. I'm both sad to see John Corbett go again, and relieved because I was like, "Where is this going? Does this ruin you know anything?" But it seems like he's going to be okay. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Well, let's briefly discuss Drew and Amy making mm-hmm. their relationship official. Aww. 
Yeah, I wanted to um, say I'm sorry about my grandfather the other day. I mean, I didn't <laughs> tell him you were my girlfriend. I just, I mean, he thinks he hears things. It's, I mean, I just... It's okay. I mean, I totally get it. We hang out a lot, so I get why he got yeah. the wrong idea. Yeah, um... You know, actually, I, I was thinking we could, I mean, if we don't want to confuse the elderly, I mean, we could just tell him that you are my girlfriend, if you want. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, well, we might as well, I mean, tell everyone so no one <laughs> gets confused. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I'm being dead serious. Me too. Great. <laughs> cool. Let me go now. Yeah. And then he kicks closed his bedroom door with his foot, which I think if I had been like Amy in that situation, I would have been like, that was so cool. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I remember kind of thinking Drew and Amy's relationship was boring and who cares, like in the past when I watched it. And I'm finding it so damn charming this go round. I don't know why. Maybe it's because so much of the show is really heavy and intense. And I'm like, look at this adorable couple. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really loving it. I remember really being uncaptivated by Drew almost all the time. <laughs> and now I'm appreciating him in a way I never did before. I'm mostly just taken by what a believable teenager he is. And specifically a teenage boy. They're usually very ineloquent like inarticulate and awkward and in that scene just there like it was so awkward and so inarticulate but on a show with so many loud articulate emotive characters yeah he does fade in the background but i i appreciate that he's there to show that like not everyone is like that <laughs> least of all a teenage boy and i also liked that for once he sort of took the lead mm. in a step with amy like she's been kind of guiding him because he's like such a stranger in a strange land. But he took initiative for once and it paid off. And so I hope he feels good about that. I was proud of him. <laughs> like oddly, <laughs> like, good for you. Did it. When he goes to the party, I really thought that scene was cute too and pretty realistic, where he's just kind of like got her by his side and then he's kind of like, This is Amy, my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he didn't make an expression but it, it was sort of like and this is also an official step yeah yeah <laughs> i really loved that christine like you know julia was like oh i'm aunt julia and christina was like i'm aunt christina i just had a baby like, yeah i was like why did you even break that up <laughs> i didn't understand why she said that but anyway yeah she's just self-conscious yeah I maybe she's like, trying to explain why her boobs are so <laughs> That's probably it, actually. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. That's a huge, that's a huge step. Like, it's very big deal when you're a teenager, especially like introducing. Although it's funny that Drew and his mom are both doing that. They're both debuting their new relationships at this party. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Drew was kind of inarticulate, he's surprisingly funny. Like maybe he's also oh, yeah. a little bit like Joel in that, you know, you, you, you kind of overlook him. It's real quiet, but two things he said that really cracked me up. I mean, one was in that clip where he's like, you know, so we don't confuse the elderly. That's <laughs> hilarious. That's perfect. But then 
like at the very first scene of his in the episode when Zeke's looking for his keys and he just looks at Amy. He's like, did you take his keys? Like I thought (laughs) it was such a throwaway, but I'm like, I would be really charmed by that too. If I were Amy, like I could see why she likes him. You know, he's, he's awkward and quiet, but he's, he's funny, sweet, probably not a lot like other boys at their school, you know, like you, you might be like, oh, he seems like more sensitive. Like, yeah. When I remember I used to think Amy was kind of bland and boring too. And maybe she is, but perhaps because I'm re-appreciating Drew <laughs> for who he is, I kind of like that he's with someone who's also kind of quiet. I mean, she's not as quiet as he is. And we haven't seen her with other people much. I have a feeling that she's maybe a little more outgoing than he would be in other situations. But with him, it seems like they have sort of an agreed upon like decibel level. (laughs) I just imagine him growing up with Amber and Sarah. It's like, he probably would want to spend time with someone who's just easygoing, (laughs) even keeled, undramatic. I'm like, well then good. I'm glad that Amy (laughs) is there for you because there's nothing wrong with being that way. And she's, adorable and seems really sweet yeah she coaxes him out of his shell i think just enough and but does it in a very loving way yeah there's something about their vibe that reminds me when you're you know when you're with someone that you're dating or romantically involved with and you're in a group setting sometimes you have like this conspiratorial togetherness that's just such a rich and pleasurable thing like, I don't know what I'm trying to describe here. It's not like you're gossiping about other people in the room, but like you have your your togetherness and it's like somehow this little safe space in, in the group. But I get that sense that they, as these two young, quiet people, kind of on the edge, but yeah. they're sort of like, ha, 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 we're having fun on the edge. But nobody, <laughs> nobody's noticing and it's okay. We're okay with that. That. It's their love bubble, like Julia explained to Sydney oh, last yeah. season, I think. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, let's talk about Crosby and Dr. Joe. <laughs> yeah. First of all, tiny detail, but Crosby mentions that he and Jabbar will order gluten-free pizzas. I appreciated the consistency with Jabbar's recently discovered wheat allergy, but jury's still out. Can he tolerate cheese or dairy now? He was lactose intolerant for a season. So is this like dairy-free cheese on a gluten-free crust? <laughs> and how how far can you go before you can't call it pizza anymore? <laughs> uh, well, actually, we had a friend stay with us uh, a couple days ago, and she can't have gluten or dairy. And we did go out for pizza, and she found a place with like vegan cheese. <laughs> And like a wow. cauliflower crust. And it was so expensive. Like it was, I felt so bad. It was like four times that's, more than our pizza. tragic on several I levels. I know. I guess it was really good. I mean, we kind of live in a foodie place. But yeah, I did think maybe you just stop ordering pizza with Jabbar. It doesn't seem. Anyway, I, I noticed that too. Well, first and so far only strike against Dr. Joe. He watches movies rather than reading the books but you know in fairness he's probably busy writing his own books and running the most successful pediatric practice in the bay area it sounds like so maybe he's forgiven for taking the easy way out this was the one time yeah with joe where i thought crosby had reasonable issues 
like if you are reading a book series with your kid, like like when Adam was sort of calling it like Pottergate and making light of it, which it was funny. But when when Crosby said like, don't call it that. Do you know how long it takes to read those books? I thought that's fair. That's a real investment that he and his son are making together. You like read something together and then you probably watch the movie after and it's like a celebration of what you just read together. And and yeah, and I, you know, I think it's unclear whether Dr. Joe knew that or not. You know, if if Dr. Joe knew that, I think it's kind of a dick move. But if he didn't know that, then I don't think he did. Crosby even says that in his oh, first that's confrontation right. with him. I'm fine with you dating Jasmine. That's terrific. But I need you to recognize that there are moments I want to share with my son, me and him, not you and him. Harry Potter, that was one of them. But I don't think you knew about that, so I let it go. And now the football game, I am not letting you take him to his first football game. I deserve to be there with him. I'm the one that gets to see his face light up when he sees the field for the first time. And I'm the one who gets to relive that moment for the rest of my life, not you. So I need you to respect that. This was another scene that I did not remember what happened. I was real nervous when he like stormed in there. It could have gone worse, I think. I think it could have gone a lot worse. And I agree with you that like on the merits, I think he had a real point. And he didn't scream or yell, thankfully. But I do think it would have been more effective if he'd been calmer. And like sat down and said, I want to discuss something with you or, you know, but then I did say like, maybe that does belong on the Christine sends an email version of the show. (laughs) Yeah. No, I thought his tone was just not appropriate. And and going to his place of work, I was like, could this not have been a phone call or like a meetup? Like, hey, is it possible for us to like have lunch sometime? I, I just have a few things I'd like to talk about with you. You know, it just felt like so accusatory and I'm like you know if you had just said it like did you know that we're reading Harry Potter also did you know he hasn't been to a football game before like this I feel like this is kind of my chance you know I just feel like he could have made those points so much less angrily but made me wonder because I've never dated someone who had children how common that might be because it seems like there would be these experiences that if you had your kind of mom dad kid together you would do together but then if you're divorced or separated or whatever and you have other partners in the mix is it reasonable to expect that you get clearance on activities it it also makes me think like obviously in that kind of circumstance if dr joe is going to be like a permanent part of jasmine's life there would be more of like a inclusion of him i guess into the kind of parenting stuff whether he's actively parenting or not, but just a conversation about what the expectations are. But it's like their relationship is so new. I definitely didn't think Dr. Joe was in the wrong for having watched the movie or bought the tickets. Like, how would he have known? Yeah. You know, but I, and I also felt like Crosby had a point that it was to say like, hey, I don't want that to happen. But I thought, oh, how do you navigate that? Like, what are the expectations? I don't even know. Like, what about discipline? Or, that's hard like I don't I don't know I don't know how people work that out I'm curious because it seems like it could be complicated and it also seems like maybe you couldn't wait until you've been dating a long time once you meet yeah. the kid it sort of becomes more present perhaps I don't I don't know it's something I'm just hearing you talk about it I'm realizing it's something I really liked about this storyline was that I don't think anyone's intentions were bad 
I think they were in the process of discovering exactly what you're talking about, which is, oh, we haven't ironed these things out. What do we clear with each other and what don't we? And how do we make this all work? And it would be tricky, I think. And I I really then liked that, you know, while Crosby didn't handle it perfectly, he didn't yell, which mm-hmm. I feel like he usually does. <laughs> he stormed into work and, you know, was a little pointed. And then I thought Joe's response was also... Oh, A+. Plus. ...pretty reasonable. <laughs> you here to record some tracks? Well, since you just barged right into my place of work, I figured I owed it to you to do the same. Yeah, um, about that, I... I Listen, I, I forget about it. I just stopped by to give you these. Uh, you should take Jabbar. I mean, there's nothing like your first football game, right? Man, these are really good seats. I don't know what to say, man. I, thank you. That's sure. um, crazy nice of you. Crosby, I, uh, listen, man, I understand where you're coming from. I really do. I do, but there's something that you need to understand. I'm not going anywhere. I really like Jasmine and Jabbar. This is for real. So, like it or not, I am going to be in your boy's life. Hey, enjoy the game. I mean, didn't I say he's the most perfect man ever depicted on television? Further evidence. Yeah. I thought, I mean, of course, what a great gesture, but it also didn't feel like any weird power trippy thing, like now you're indebted to me. It felt like him demonstrating, I really heard where you were coming from. But now here where I'm coming from. And that this is neither of these men's ideal scenarios. Right. If Crosby had everything he wanted, there would be no Dr. Joe. He'd still be with Jasmine. And if Dr. Joe had everything he wanted, Jabara's dad would not be in the picture. And so this felt like, to me, Joe saying, I realize that if I'm going to have a relationship with Jasmine and Jabbar, I'm going to have to have some sort of relationship with you. And that can either be a horrible relationship or we can make the best of it. And so here is a peace offering and just please extend me the same, you know, I, I'm going to be part of your relationship with them. So start thinking about how you want to handle that. And I also love that he had just enough shade in there so that he wasn't like too good to be true. Yeah. For like barging <laughs> into work thing. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You weren't petty about it, but you also didn't just completely let it go. Major <laughs> point. Like it's not cool to barge into people's uh, yeah, places of work. Yeah, he's right. Yeah. And I also think it's more interesting to present Crosby with someone that he can't hate than it would be to have Jasmine dating some monster. Also, like, I don't think I would believe that Jasmine would tolerate a monster. Or even another slacker. No, of her. Yeah, I think (laughs) she's done with slackers. She's going to be with someone good. Yeah, It makes me think that part of the way that post-breakup fondness can continue is at least in my opinion you don't have a ton of contact with the person (laughs) they're not always in your life you know you can you can maintain that distance that you need to still care about them without having it disrupt your day-to-day or your other relationships whereas like this situation like dr joe is saying it's like i'm here and totally understand why you're upset about this so goodwill gesture here are the tickets have that experience but like i'm going to continue to be here so we can't just ignore my presence 
think that's very reasonable and fair, but it also strikes me, having never experienced it, that it could get really complicated, especially if your ex was with someone that you didn't like. And not just for yeah. the jealousy reasons that Crosby has, but like, you're just like, oh, this is a bad person. Mm-hmm. Why, but what are you going to tell your ex? Hey, kick this person to the curb. Like, I doubt it. I don't think that would go very well. No. wonder how you navigate that. <laughs> it's You're making me wonder something. Would Crosby weirdly prefer it if Jasmine were with some lowlife so he could feel better about himself? You know, somehow, like, I mean, Crosby's got it so good in a way. I mean, obviously he wishes he were still with Jasmine and it's his fault that he's not. And I think he's acutely aware of that. And I think that's where some of this brattiness comes from. I think he's just honestly underneath it all mad at himself. But I think... It's totally. Yeah. I think it's also really hard for him because yeah, like here Jasmine is with someone who's really good to his son. His complaint is that (laughs) Dr. Joe wants to take Jabbar to games and watch movies with him. I think on some level he's got to know, you know, out there in the world, there are people whose new partners are like abusive or, or unkind to the sun. And that could be, I mean, I don't know if that goes through his head or not, but like, this is such a charmed problem and yet he can't take it. You know, I just, I never yeah. really thought of that before until just now. You're so right too, like that he's mad at himself because also, you know, Crosby has a lot to recommend for himself. He's a good person, but what are the odds that he's going to find someone better than Jasmine after he screwed <laughs> things up with her? Not great, probably, no. you know, and, but now here Jasmine has found someone better who, than him. Like literally better than him. <laughs> and he's not as funny, I think for sure. I think that's true. And maybe not as charming, certainly a different kind of charm, but in so many areas and just like, particularly just having this shit together. Which is probably the most important thing to Jasmine. And that's, I think, a real insecurity for Crosby. You know, when they were together, that was kind of... I think you're right. I think he would prefer someone he could look down on. Yeah. He cannot look down on Dr. Joe. Yep. One thing I, you know, kind of, Ruth, what you're talking about, finding a place after romantic love or beyond that, a scene in this episode that I really liked that I don't think it was meant to have this kind of impact was when Jasmine came to the luncheonette party mm. and was just praising Crosby. Yeah. First of all, I don't know that we've ever seen her praise Crosby. <laughs> and I was impressed that it really felt genuine, but that it also, to me, it didn't feel like it was hinting at any larger story point. It wasn't like, oh, here's the beginning of Jasmine falling back in love with Crosby. No, I didn't feel that at all. It just felt like this is where they've gotten to. Like, compare it to last season... Now she's like past the point where she can't admit that there's anything good about him. Yeah. She's through she's through that phase, but it's not like she fell back in love with him. And yeah. I don't know, it just I was like, "Oh, how nice that they really did. I'm sure that would be so hard." Yeah. To get to that place, but it seems like they're there and it didn't feel weird to him. It wasn't I didn't feel like he was pining after her the whole night like, "Oh, she can recognize what I did, but why can't she recognize that I so love?" Like no, I didn't think he was thinking that either. I think it's nice to show that, like like Ruth was saying, yeah, that, that kind of love that still goes on. I will say, like, Mark 
his best friend is Angela, who he is the last person he dated before me, which is now like 18 years ago. So it was a really long time ago. But she was, you know, like best man in our wedding. She's one of my best friends now, too. I think people used to maybe find that strange because, you know, what you're supposed to do is like, you know, hate each other forever after you break up. And I'm supposed to hate her because they used to date, you know, like, and I think it's beautiful when you don't kind of go with that cliche, which everyone accepts as the norm, but it's really far more toxic than, you know, like it's weird what toxic behaviors we just accept as like, that's how it's supposed to be. You know, it's kind of nice when something's elevated or, or different, you know, and when, you know, like Angela and her son are like our family, they're, you know, and, and I don't know. I just throw that out there because we can't always be beholden. I never say that word, but we can't always be so rigid about what it's supposed to look like, quote unquote. You know, I think it's lovely to just kind of lean in sometimes to possibility and and unconventional ways of, of looking at things. So I think that a lot of time has to pass for me personally before the relationship can change. So that point you made, Caleb, about Jasmine and Crosby, it's like time has passed and the like struggle and heat of what was there before has gone away or muted enough. What people assume is that once you've dated someone or once you've been intimate with them, like romantically, then that's just how you will be. Right. Or that there's a danger that you would go back to that. But realistically, I think in real life, what often happens, not always, but what often happens is like your feelings about that person change. Yeah. Yeah. You had that in the past, but it's not active and it's changed into something else. You still can be friends with this person without it being inappropriate because there's boundaries. Like Mark is not going to go to Angela and like, I don't even know. Yeah. Mark says it's almost funny to even talk about the fact that they dated very briefly 18 years ago. He's like, she's my friend. She's one of my best friends. Like, that's what I think of when I think of her. That's, you know, it's just, it's interesting how these things kind of morph and change. And yeah, and I, I think, you know, maybe Crosby and Jasmine could get to a place where their first thought isn't, we were engaged and now we're not. You know, I mean, that was obviously really significant and everything, but maybe it's like, whatever this new version is, you know, we're, we're friends, we're co-parents where, we're you know, like maybe that can take center stage over we're exes and, you know, Sarah and Seth, we love each other, but it's not like that. <laughs> but we shouldn't be together. Yeah. Or at least it shouldn't <laughs> Which, be like that. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a radical lesson that I feel like was like newsflash for me when I was young. It's like, oh, you can love someone and know you can never be together. Yeah. I did not know that was possible. And that's a little sad, a little sad at first to realize that really threw me for a loop. But then later I'm like, oh, actually there's something kind of beautiful about the fact that you can still have loving feelings for someone, but also know that your romantic relationship was a dumpster fire and just (laughs) heated. (laughs) Like we should never go back there because it wasn't a good idea, you know, it didn't work or, you know, all those things. That's, I think, the richness of getting older. The resolution of this episode reminded me a bit of season one where pretty much everything always wrapped up Mm. at the end of every episode. In this one, like Zeke went home to Camille. Christina got her spark back. Seth removed himself from the love triangle. Drew and Amy are officially a couple. Joe's relationship to Crosby and the rest of his family still feels a little open-ended, but it feels like optimistic. Yeah, it felt like 
pretty much everything ended fairly happily. So ironically, not in between. Although I did take note of in between. Seth definitely felt like he was coming in between Sarah and Mark. And I'm sure Crosby feels caught in between his own relationship with Jabbar and then how he fits into a new picture that includes Joe. I wondered, like, does Zeke feel maybe caught between, like, relevance and dotage? I didn't know. (laughs) And then Christina between being, like, a food and nurture factory for her baby and a whole person unto herself. Boy, that's something. Talk about things I didn't understand when I was younger, and I still wouldn't pretend I understand it, but just like having a sister who just had a baby and who is a stay-at-home parent, your children rely on you so entirely that it really does start to make sense to me how someone could only make sense of themselves in relationship to these other people. Like, Mm. I exist in order to care for these other people and hanging on to yourself in all of that, it would be really hard. Not just like, oh, that's something that happens to people. No, it is really easy to fall into, I think. And ironically, I think the better like parent you are, probably the more susceptible you are to that happening. Because I think it's beautiful to give so much of yourself to your family. But the more you give, the less you're maybe left with. That's uh, what Nick Lachey said. So... Really? I don't know. There was that song, What's Left of Me, after Jessica Simpson left him. Anyway. Yeah, that was the same. That was the same. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, as we mentioned in our previous uh, episode with Ruth, Ruth is a poet. um, (laughs) And um, you should definitely check out her website. Do you do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Ruth? Oh, sure. It's just my name, ruthcwilliams.com. And you can see my writing and um, some of the things I get up to. Awesome. Um, and then, of course, we'll plug ourselves here. Please check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Parenthood Pals everywhere. And check us out at our website, parenthoodpals.com. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And until next time, May God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.